This morning, we're going to share a little bit. I don't know how you feel about Tuesday. Maybe you're like me, you just want it to be over. <laughs> columnist, a Christian columnist, Marvin Olansky, said this about Tuesday's election. He said, sinful humans, with all of our quirks, will decide who controls the White House and Congress. But under a sovereign God, the election is no crapshoot. Now, you may or may not find comfort in that statement, but I do. Yes, like you, I'm offended and fed up with the hostility in the current campaigning. We probably all, somewhere along the process, have had feelings of anger and frustration, anxiousness, disgust, embarrassment, maybe even terror at what might be. We have had feelings that have been hurt. We have friendships that have been strained. We've had Facebook friends that have been unfriended. <laughs> we may be sick of the lies and the spin and the distortion and the underhandness of things that we have seen in the process. And in my weaker moments, I do admit that I get somewhat anxious maybe even occasionally terrified, at what sinful humans with all of our quirks might decide uh, two days from now. My guess is many of you have had similar feelings, regardless of which party you are a part of. But Marvin Olansky is right. Under a sovereign God, uh, the election is not a crapshoot. I can assure you, God is in complete control. But you say, well, what if so-and-so gets in? From what I hear, no matter who wins, half the country's moving to Canada. <laughs> and... Um, they may be building a wall, so you want to get in quickly. <laughs> it's one of the biggest concerns maybe among Christians in the United States these days is, well, who are we going to vote for this election? Some are frustrated that God hasn't lined up the candidate that they had hoped would get in. Some are wondering, is this the best that America has to offer? Others feel that we are being forced to choose between the lesser of two evils. But when we wake up on November the 9th, after all of the balloons have been burst or swept away, what will we see? Who will be in charge? What if I told you that the whole election is going to be called off? No more candidates, no more rallies, no more campaign speeches, no more public even voting. Instead, God is going to choose the next president of the United States. You'd say, wow, that would be amazing. No more worries. Of course he's going to pick the one that I would have voted for, right? <laughs> 
I'm going to go out on a limb this morning, and maybe it's not out on a limb. I'll make a prediction, and here is what I predict. When we get up on Wednesday, November the 9th, God is going to be in control. God is still going to be in control. He will be in charge of the universe. His throne will still be occupied. Let me ask you this. Isn't God already in complete control? Right now? In the whole primary process and all that's been going on? We look at it and sometimes we look at the mess and we look at what is going and we think it's not going well and we somehow think we're praying for God to fix it as if, God, you've let this get out of control. Do something. Hasn't he already been in control? Is he not the one who chooses uh, who leads and who doesn't, with or without a general election? Sometimes we get caught up in the media hype and forget that simple fact that God is in control. Let's take a step back for a few minutes. Step back from all the political chaos of this season and focus on the words of the Apostle Paul when he wrote to those in, uh, in, in Rome. And, and this is what he said. He said, everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Is it really possible that these words that were written somewhere in the 56, 57 AD, almost 2,000 years ago, are, is it possible that they still apply to political situations of our day? I mean, we look at the political nonsense that we see among, around us. We look at the corruption that seems to be at all levels uh, of government. And what if we don't agree that this certain person that's getting in there, we don't agree with them? What if the next president's ideas uh, is not in line with Scripture? Well, let me say, this verse still applies. And, and it's not some simplistic virtue that Paul wrote in a time when everything was wonderful and it was a more, more simple day and, and, and there really weren't that many political problems. When the Apostle Paul penned these words, uh, the Roman Empire was ruled by one Nero, one of the most evil rulers in all of history. This tyrannical leader lived a, a, a life of gross and blatant sin. He set his own city on fire just so he could build a new palace. He murdered members of his own family and countlessly, countless Christians were brutally tortured and killed. It is said that he even set on fire human torches of Christians that were brought in and tied to poles and covered with tar and set on fire in his gardens at night to make light. It was under Nero's reign uh, that Paul was martyred. Uh, 
for his Christian faith and the gospel that he preached. So maybe things quite aren't, aren't quite as bad uh, as we thought here in America. It's almost inconceivable that Paul would have looked at that governance and thought that it was somehow wonderful or good. Can you imagine how these people in Rome felt when they received this letter and this instruction to submit to this government? So what can we take from what Paul wrote and apply it in our current situation as Christians in our culture today. One thing that I think we have to understand is that we as believers are to submit to God's appointed leaders. He said, everyone must submit to governing authorities. If there were ever an exception to the rule, Paul would have made it because he was in a, under one of the worst uh, government authorities uh, of all times. But we find here at the end of the verse, he clearly explains, excuse me, why we should submit. Because those in authority have been placed there by God. The Bible teaches that, that God is sovereign over all things. And this means that every one of our leaders has been and will be directly put there by God. Now this may be tough to accept sometimes, but keep in mind that God controls it all. His word says so. And we're going to look at some verses that reinforce that into our thinking. Each one of them have been raised up and established and appointed by God for his ultimate purpose. History, as if you remember a couple years ago when we did the story, history is God's story. And God is writing the story. And yes, we're a part of it and we fulfill a role in being part of our system and, and governments and all of that. But ultimately, God has a plan and ultimately, he is going to rule it all. He is going to come again. And for some of those things to happen, he has to put things in place. The Bible says the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. Understanding God's sovereignty opens the door for peace in our hearts. Some of us have not had a lot of peace in our hearts. So we listen to the news and listen to the rancor and we have our opinions and we're opposite of this and, and, and peace just seems to have evaporated because we forget that God is sovereign. Another thing that we find from this verse of scripture is uh, that God's plan may include ungodly leaders. You may say, well, God can't use people like this. What does Solomon say? The Lord can control a king's mind as he controls a river. He can direct it as he pleases. Sometimes we wonder why God would allow certain leaders to rise to power. Leaders that have unbiblical objectives and even leaders who are completely against God. In our finite understanding, 
We, we don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. But the Bible does assure us that God has a plan and a purpose for all things. In the book of Isaiah chapter 45, we read of, of King Cyrus of Babylon, a Persian king, who God appointed and granted great power to him. And remarkably, God moved Cyrus to free the Jews from their captivity in Babylon and even to finance the efforts of their returning to their country and to returning to Jerusalem to build, to rebuild the temple. On another occasion, the Lord turned the heart of the king of Assyria so that he aided Israel in the construction of the temple. More than 2,500 years ago, the prophet Daniel declared that God controls the course of world events. He removes kings and he sets up kings. Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, was considered the mightiest king of his generation. But Daniel, as he was interpreting the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had had and trying to figure out what this dream meant, he revealed that it was God's hand that brought Nebuchadnezzar to become king. This is what he said. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into his hands he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field, and the birds of heaven, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold in the statue that he had in his dream. And later, when King Nebuchadnezzar, God humbles him, drives him out of the palace, and he lives for seven years out in the field like a wild animal. Daniel explained that it happened so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even the lowliest of people. Another extraordinary example, and maybe the most profound example, I find in the book of John chapter 19. Pontius Pilate was a cold, calculating politician. He was clearly driven by political expediency and whatever was good for him holding power. Jesus was before him, and the trial of Jesus' life was taking place. And Pilate, during the trial, asked him this, why don't you talk to me? Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? And look at Jesus' response. You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So here is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and he affirms that he was under the authority of a secular political figure that had been appointed to his position by God's sovereign plan. And in turn, God had granted this ungodly leader authority, that authority, authority that resulted in Jesus being beaten and crucified on the cross. 
Now that's a scenario hardly makes sense from a human standpoint. But God allowed this in line with his story, with his eternal plan. And that it was that this was going to happen that Christ would be crucified so that your sins and my sins would be forgiven. God had a plan. Throughout God's word, we find the Lord of heaven orchestrating history according to his plans, either to bless his obedient children or to curse or judge his disobedient children. Now certainly in all this, there is human responsibility. And there is divine activity. But it is clear that God always has the ultimate say. And whoever the next president is, he or she will not be sovereign. They will be governed. And we should pray for them that they would know this, that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. And they will engage in making decisions domestic and foreign, but it will not necessarily be their decisiveness. It will be God's will. The psalmist says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plan of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plans of his heart to all generations. Here in the United States, we have the right to vote for the candidate that we believe will be the best choice for president of our country. But if that person doesn't win, don't lose hope. News flash, God is still on the throne and his sovereignty will not have faltered. The psalmist said it, God reigns above the nations sitting on his holy throne. God's mandate to us as Christians is not to change the government or to make it Christian in some way. It's not to elect a president that will lower our taxes or reflect our values. The church's job in society is to bring glory to God, to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, to be light in the darkness. And that clear and specific command, which is every Christian's mandate, was said by Jesus himself, and Matthew recorded it, and he said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, tells us how we are to affect society as Christians. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds 
shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. We need not look no farther than the early church as recorded in the book of Acts. The apostles were not out there campaigning for a new Roman emperor. They were not even arguing about what political leader or what political system might cause them the least difficulty in their moving about trying to be better Christians. They weren't holding up signs trying to promote their favorite candidate or point of view. What were they interested in? They were interested in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were interested in being obedient to the commands of Jesus Christ. They were interested in fulfilling the great commission that had been given them, and they were interested in making disciples as Jesus had told them. Now, I'm not advocating here this morning some kind of fatalism or even that we need to neglect the political process and not be a part of it. We should be. We're a part of this culture. We're a part of society. But I am reacting against what I sense so many hearing in the Christian community, expressions that almost seem to indicate that the process has gotten so far out of hand, God, you got to get back here and fix things, as if God doesn't know. As if somehow he's lost control of his universe, and God, you better get here and fix it because it's going to hell in the handbasket. What should we be doing as a church? What should I be doing as Christian? One of the things I should be doing is praying for my country and for our leaders. As a believer, it's not my job to worry. It's not my job to fret. And it's certainly not my position as a Christian to yield uh, to despair. We shouldn't become angry or spread hatred towards any political figure. Rather, we should focus our energy in prayer for God's will to be accomplished in great ways regardless of who is elected. Regardless of who the president is next Sunday, we still have a responsibility to the Great Commission. And that will not be stymied by who sits in the White House. Remember, our trust is in God and not in politicians. We can trust God to use or to change any circumstance to accomplish his will and to uphold his glory. We need to remember that the Great Commission is still our Great Commission. Paul encouraged believers to pray for their leaders. He told Timothy, he said, ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. And give thanks for them. Now remember who the leader was when Paul was writing. It was Nero. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. If Paul and the first century Christians could live peaceful and godly lives then you and I can too, no matter who is president next Sunday. Even Jeremiah in the Old Testament was writing to the elders who were taken captive into Babylon. And he wrote to them in Jeremiah 29, and he told them to pray for the welfare of the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, who had taken them captive. 
as punishment, as God's punishment upon them. What are some ways that we can pray for the leaders of our country? Pray for their salvation. They are human beings that are going to stand before Almighty God. We can pray for them to open their hearts to God's guidance that he would lead them. We can pray that they will surround themselves somehow with leaders that have godly advice. We can pray that their hearts would be convicted, uh, that they would make honorable decisions. We can pray that they will promote biblical principles in our country. But we need to pray that God will send revival. We need to pray that we, the church, will be the church, that we will be light in the darkness that we see. We should continue to pray and then trust our sovereign God that he will orchestrate all circumstances to his greater glory and his eternal purpose. Paul wrote to the Philippians and said this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. But remember this, no government or earthly authority or political party ever sent anybody to hell. Politics does not have that power in your life. But on the other hand, unrepentant spirit, immorality, rebellion, unbelief do send people to hell. That has power in your life to to separate us from God. And similarly, no government or earthly authority can save a single person. Only Jesus Christ can save to the uttermost. Jesus said this. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given me. That wasn't just a statement he threw out there. He meant it. All authority is given to me. It includes every government uh, in the whole world. It includes every president, every premier, every prime minister, every peasant, every citizen, that walks the face of this planet. So I close with this. Neither Hillary Clinton nor Donald Trump is the savior of the world. And neither are they the savior of America. Whoever is elected president on Tuesday, they will be among those small K kings. Jesus rules as king. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He was, he is, and he always will be. As I said in the beginning, when we get up on November the 9th, God will still be in complete control. He will still be in charge of the universe and he will still be sitting on his throne. No matter how things turn out on Tuesday, or on the day after that, or the week after that, or the year after that, Jesus is still seated at the right hand of his Father, making intercession for you and me. And Romans 8 is still true, that it says, in everything God works for the good of those 
who love him. When you get home, I'd like for you to get out your calendar. And I'd like for you to get out a pen and circle November the 9th. And somewhere there, just write so you can see it. God is still in control. For some, this process has robbed you of peace. God is in control. And his sovereignty should give you peace. No matter what happens, he still loves you. And he will work everything for your good and his ultimate story. Paul said, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And if you and I will do that, he said, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand, and his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live, as you walk, as you breathe, as you obey Jesus Christ. The Great Commission still needs fulfilled. And Jesus has called you and I, the church, to do that. He did not call any government. He did not call a president. He did not call a particular party. He called the church. He called his sons and daughters those that had been bought by the blood of the Lamb, and he said, go and preach the gospel and make disciples. Do you know anybody that's lost? This election won't save them. But your faithfulness to Jesus Christ may make the difference between eternity and hell for them. And it won't matter who's in the White House. You and I have a job to do. Fulfilling that great commission is more important than anything that will happen on Tuesday. There's a song that I want us to close in listening to. It doesn't completely tie in, but the theme of it does. Not just in the things that are political, but in all of our lives, there are times that we struggle with who's in control. And we need this morning to just sit back and remember God is still in control.